and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing the chairman of the board, old Blue Eyes himself, A number one, king of the hill, it's Frank Sinatra. Yes, we are ring-a-ding-dinging in the (laughs) new year uh, with coverage of America's top crooner and also... Hitting one of the most important pieces about of words about music of all time. Yes, we're talking Frank Sinatra from Gay Talese's uh, 1966 Esquire profile, a legendary piece of new journalism. Frank Sinatra has a cold. Molly, fellas, <laughs> is it Gay Talese? Oh my God. You, oh, I was wondering whether you were going was to say that. that. Yes. I'm happy you did. I got to get it out of my system early. Is it Gay Talese? Would it be gay? I guess in the old country it would be gay Talese. Gay Talese. Gay Talese. Oh, yes, I'm sure. He's Italian. He's Italian. That's why he... We're about to get so Italian. We're very Italian in here. Hi, Molly. Hi. It's uh, the new year. Ring a ding ding. Ring a ding ding. I thought that was the first thing that you were going to say on the podcast. Ring a ding ding. Ring a ding ding. Ring a ding ding. Uh, I've gotten so much better uh, doing these off the top of the dome. I know. You used to have to write it, and now well, you Well, you wanted to specifically say what I wanted. That's growth. That's growth. That's growth. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to be absolutely insufferable on this episode. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Especially for not knowing like much about Frank Sinatra, anyway. Well, I feel like it's, you're, it's hard to avoid knowing things about Frank Sinatra. I said that's life. This came to me recently. Uh, Molly's been working on a big tome of a book for our next official one. Interminable. It's been a minute since we had one of these. We wanted to get out a quick one to ring in the new year. Yeah. To ring a ding ding in the new year. <laughs> We're going to keep saying that. Yep. Ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding. Uh, and it came to me uh, that a quick one to do that would also fall well within the category of what our show covers is not only talking about Frank Sinatra, but also doing one of the classic pieces of music writing. Yes. Uh, Gay Talese's. Uh, Frank Sinatra has a cold. A harbinger of new journalism. Of new journalism. One of the most legendary profiles of a celebrity ever written by yes. anyone. Yes. About anyone. Has uh, heavily influenced many other profiles in the future. Ba- basically all profiles. Basically all profiles. It's basically before and after uh, Frank Sinatra has a cold. And it's something that I had known about forever, just had that phrase. Frank Sinatra has a cold in my head, mm-hmm. uh, but I've never, I'd never actually read. The you profile. never read it. No. I think I read it in college, possibly for some kind of creative nonfiction creative class. Not, yeah, which yeah, basically, Gatelis put the creative in creative nonfiction. <laughs> God bless him. Uh, so you know, it's it's twenty four pages. You can find it for free on PDF online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a good, it's a great read. Um, and we, I read this on the plane back from California and Molly read it yesterday and now we're going to talk about it. Yes. Molly, what are your experiences with, what do you, what do you know about Frank Sinatra? When I did mean, you first encounter, uh, Mr. Sinatra? The thing about, I feel like the thing about people are in, of our generation, millennials, is that Frank, Frank Sinatra is not, you don't remember when you're introduced to Frank Sinatra because he's just kind of like... In the culture. Yeah. I first remember being dimly aware of Frank Sinatra from a Looney Tunes cartoon uh, that okay. they did parodying him. And the things that they parodied him were that he was skinny. Yes. Like there was a gag where he was like, as he was singing, he was like sway, swaying behind the microphone stand. And when he went behind the microphone stand, his body would disappear. That's funny. All you could see was the mic stand. That's he had good. big ears. Yep. And then uh, the girls who 
were listening to him went insane. Well, you know, they were doing like the the classic Looney Tunes bits of like pulling a mallet out of their pocket and bonking them over themselves Boy, oh, over the yeah, head yeah, yeah. To uh, in a in a bit of uh, insanity yep. over this guy who's saying like, when I'm in a dream, <laughs> I only dream of you. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> They, they, they were doing yeah. the early Sinatra oh, when he yeah. was doing stuff like that. Yeah. You know, this is from the forties. He's and, he's like he's like nineteen forties music disambiguated. You know, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's that's basically how I think of him. I've never actively listened to Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra happens to me, yes. in different circumstances at different times. Watching you know movies from the twentieth century. Uh, my fa- my favorite instance of listening to Frank Sinatra was I don't know if you remember this, but we were in Atlantic City. We were taking a car from where we were staying to a different like club to mm-hmm. no we we're taking a cab from the club home uh, home to the hotel and it was like you just probably three in the morning breezing down an empty mini highway and the uh uh driver is blasting my way and I was just like, yes, ring-a-ding-ding. This is what Atlantic City is all about, baby. I did it. My, yes. We're, uh, in the motor, we're in the motor vehicle. I'm sorry, my peaking. Yeah, yeah, we're pe- peaking a little bit. Sorry. Uh, I was at that time as well. Sorry, we're just shouting in Frank voice too just, much. We uh, might have uh, peaked a little bit uh, we ra- there we, a little bit. We, ring a, we ringed a ding-ding We were ringing a ding-a-ding. Hard. Yes. Um, but I just remember like that. I was like, yeah, this is it's, you know, at, at this point, I just feel like the the Frank Sinatra aesthetic is this vision of excess, romant, romantic excess, uh, like fun excess filtered through this lens of we also a different like, time, a simpler time, a time when they didn't have Twitter. You know? well, he's also like the the quintessence of cool at a specific moment. Yes. And masculinity like, at yes, a specific moment. Yes. Which we'll of get like into. 1955 to nineteen sixty, Like basically like. The, the moment Mad Men starts, if you asked any of those guys who the coolest person in the world is, they'd probably say Frank Sinatra. Like a number of them might say Frank Sinatra. This is my, I don't know if this is a curveball for people who for, who listen to the pod and know my taste. I actually quite like the music of Frank Sinatra. I think that's a curveball. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have slamming uh, arpeggiated synthesizers or whatever. But but what if it did? But you're Ita- but also you're Italian. <laughs> yeah, I am. So Italian. it speaks to my hot my hot Mediterranean <laughs> blood. No, I like the ones that the brassy big band stuff with a lot of horns and uh, the songs with a lot of bravado. You know, stuff like that's life. You know that yeah, stuff. That's life. I think the the songs are a lot of fun and i like hearing them and i like singing them and i especially like watching friends of mine do karaoke to them <laughs> sure yeah uh our friend eric does an amazing that's life our yes. friend uh matt chrisman of course does an amazing mac the knife mac the knife and then sarah grace does an amazing uh new york new york new york new york yes yeah of course we are um unbelievably blessed to have those people in our lives maybe everybody should have their frank sinatra their song. frank sinatra song Hmm. I mean, that's the other thing about Frank Sinatra, right? Is he's not a songwriter. He's an interpreter. Yes, he is. He's a vocalist. He's In the a... style of Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And he makes every song that he does his his own thing. Yes. He is such a signature dude. A blue. He's a blue chip guy. <laughs> he is a blue chip guy. He is. A, he is a brand. He's a brand. And I think. I mean, one thing that I always think will coming back will keep coming back to. He does seem to be a a man who transcends mid twentieth century values. And stature so much, as Gaitalisa says, mm-hmm. that he is unstuck in time, and that it is interesting to look at a guy who could embody so much for so long, and 
from basically 1940 to 1970 yeah with all that changed underneath him and still basically be the same guy mm-hmm. but yet the context changes yeah i mean it, it is it's even including the fact that he got his start at the time that a bunch of young american men were being shipped off to war shipped off to war mm-hmm. and he was he almost kind of he, he was kind of like the last man standing in america of just being like don't worry all i got this like i will create i will like single-handedly create like culture yes uh and so when you I come will back take care of all of your women for them i yeah. will get them all nice and horny for you so and then you, you come, come you come back you go to uh the soda fountain you get your You're- girl a cherry phosphate give her a nickel for the jukebox and she will put on in the wee small fucking hours of the morning or some shit like that all or nothing at all (laughs) and then you got yourself you know get that gi bill get get your get your house get your house get your college education make her make her your bra your bride a one hot and sour soup that's for my bride uh have your children and uh set yourself up for life it's a vision of uh, a middle class domesticity also that is, uh, is long gone all right Let's get into it. Frank Sinatra. He's has got a, a cold. At you. Let's get into it. At uh, you. Okay. Gay Talese did not have access to this. This was, we should also give a little context. And also, just full disclosure like, I have never read a Frank Sinatra biography. I know, you know, a character sketch of the man, but we are, for the next hour ish, we are living within the constraints of the Gay Talese characterization yes. of Frank Sinatra. November 1965 to January 1966. So he's got this assignment. He's moved from the New York Times and, of of course, Gaitley's is just your classic like 20th century journalism story, which is like he I believe he started playing like baseball in high school and it was his job to like report the baseball stats to his local paper uh-huh. and of course working for his local paper then he went to college he majored in journalism then he got out and he became a copy boy for the new york times worked his way up in the new york times back when you could do do that you could literally thing. start in the mail room yeah you can start in the mail room and end up as a gay gay getting like two million dollar book deals and shit uh the other detail he looked at i i enjoyed from this to rub it in if we have any uh uh enterprising journalists who listen to us just remembering how things have changed uh gaitley's accrued almost five thousand dollars in expenses reporting this three-month story in 1966 yeah which is the equivalent of almost forty eight thousand dollars in 2022 money that's crazy uh over three months my man was spending what sixteen thousand dollars a month reporting the following frank sinatra around but if you see you'll see where he has to go in order to get it done like you can't i don't think you can be a cheapskate there so he he's assigned this this uh, piece uh frank sinatra does not agree to an official interview and so he does a write around talk to some reporter some ink jockey (laughs) jockey uh, he, by his own estimate, he spoke with more than a hundred people in Sinatra's orbit, including his press agent and the uh, little gray-haired lady who allegedly earned four hundred dollars a week carrying Sinatra's hair pieces around in a satchel. So, like, I mean, it's a genius move, right? I think Gaitley's whole kind of reportage thing was that he doesn't just care about the big guy. Like you got to also think about the outcasts and the losers that orbit like a big guy. Not that everyone who's around him is a loser, but that's how you get to the big guy because the secret of humankind is that if anyone pays you the littlest bit of attention, you will spill your beans. Yes. And it sounds like everyone spilled their beans to gay to lease. And it also, I mean the, the literary trick of this and you know, this isn't like genius analysis, but it's obvious, but it is, it become it, it is this 
weirdly satisfying when you finish the piece that mm-hmm. it's like the gap at the center where you don't get anything directly from Sinatra it perfectly mirrors the supernova gravitational pull yes. of Sinatra himself in real life which is the story yes. in a way that you know he yeah so let's let's get into it i mean the, the the other kind of like almost joke of this piece is that nothing really much happens no, it's, it's just, just sort of like it's just vibes basically so <laughs> zerly vibes based journalism but the main the main linchpin of it is that Frank Sinatra has a cold but he's supposed to be recording like a concert special for NBC he's also turning 50 he's dating Mia Farrow Mia Farrow is 20 Uh, how times have changed (laughs) holy shit (laughs) that's more yeah more than more than uh, half half his age anyway uh, he's also concerned that there's a CBS special uh hosted by Walter Cronkite that is going to um, like dig into areas of his life that he'd rather not have dug into, including like possible mafia ties, which this, again, this is a weak area for knowledge. I know, I know that's a thing Yes, uh, that, uh, you know, he's, he has some kind of like in with the mafia. Italian guy from Hoboken, mom's a dem party fixer. He's in the the entertainment industry dad works of all i can say fireman it's none of my business uh i certainly wouldn't ask him to his face about it yeah and i i don't think i think in the end spoiler alert (laughs) for something that aired in 1966 i don't think walter cronkite went too hard on him (laughs) so he and he also he's got all this shit on his mind and he has a cold uh so that's kind of you know the way it's described um let me quote Sinatra with a cold is Picasso without paint, Ferrari without fuel, only worse. For the common cold robs Sinatra of that uninsurable jewel, his voice, cutting into the core of his confidence, and it affects not only his own psyche, but also seems to cause a kind of psychosomatic nasal drip within dozens of people (laughs) uh, who work for him, drink with him, love him, depend on him for their own welfare and stability. A Sinatra with a cold can, in a small way, send vibrations through the entertainment industry and beyond, as surely as as a president of the United States, suddenly sick can shake the national economy. Yes. Remember the last time we had a president of the United States who was suddenly sick? Yes. Oh my God. I mean, it's especially like, I mean, the entertainment industry then was vast, but you also are thinking about a guy who spans both movies and in this article, movies, film, Mm-hmm. Or movies and film, movies, <laughs> TV, and music, and music, all within the same three month stretch. He's, yeah. It's like literally a linchpin of the entire uh, the entire entertainment world. Yeah, uh, which was vast at that point, but way smaller than it is now. You're not going to hear anybody complaining about Chris Pratt having a cold. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I mean, think of also the state of television at this time. He's got a CBS special and an NBC special. That's like two out of the three channels. Yeah, it's two thirds <laughs> of the. Pro- yeah, that's crazy. He's got a monopoly on like 66 percent of like what the entertainment of on television is. Yes, exactly. At a time when t- TV is like you know the the new thing, we should start advertising on TV. And he has a cold. What and are you he gonna, has a cold. What are you going to do about it? Good oh. thing one of these things was a pre-tape. The, the other uh, bit of the intro that I really liked and that we can talk about is that he, it says he seemed now to also be the embodiment of the fully emancipated male, perhaps the only one in America, the man who can do anything he wants, anything, can do it because he has money, the energy, and no apparent guilt. Yes. Uh, and one of the things about this is 
the musings of Sinatra's reflection on himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, because uh, in that first part where it's describing his cold, it starts off with him in a private nightclub in Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. looking morose between two uh, beautiful women, though uh, Talise uh, goes out of his way to say... They're in their mid-30s. They're in their mid-30s. So they're basically rot- rotting from the inside. Yeah, exactly. Matu- I, he describes their bodies as like matured and like molded into suits. I'm like, shut up, dude. <laughs> you wish. He was... Th- that. That's his age. He was born in like 1930. Yeah, that's... A th- he's 33 when he... Ri- I think he's 33 when he writes this piece. It's like, these are your peers, yes, my exactly. guy. Whatever. Uh, but, <laughs> Literally, my guy. But, you know, it, he, it's clear from the mood of this first scene that... Uh, Sinatra is feeling morose and introspective at his inability at his no knowledge of his own inability to perform. Yeah. That uh, he and as is shown like later on, the reason I think he is this morose about it is because when he's on, it's literally magic. Yes. Like he his performance and his voice and the the effect that he has on people is like one in a million, you know, one in 10 million. <laughs> you know, you know, I'll, I guess I'll probably keep coming back to this, but it is, he does strike in this profile a very uh, Don Draper-esque character of somebody who can do anything they want because they are at this pinnacle, the, again, this intersection of out of time thing of both self-assured success from the post-war American economic boon. Obviously, you know, Don is a, a professional and, uh, Sinatra is a superstar, so the level of success is, you know, magnitudes different. Uh, and yet, moving into a era of somewhat loosened morals, in which people would not, you know, if he had, if he was dating, if he had divorced his third, his second wife, and was dating a twenty-year-old in 1940 mm-hmm. when he was starting out, the re- response would be a lot different than 1966. You know? Yes. Yes. Uh, and so he he's cresting this intersection of traditional masculine success and new liberated morality that I think, as Talese rightly says, he's possibly the only person in his particular space who can occupy his particular space in it, where he can be both traditional and cutting edge, as he says in Gatsby, although he says this negatively, both within Mm -hmm. and without. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, you think of, it touches a little bit later on his relationship with his daughter, Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking, that's like a totally different mode of, yes. you know, like sexuality. I basically. believe that song comes out in 1966. Yeah. And yet, like, there's a little mini scene uh, that I guess Gay Talese observed where, uh, like, he literally won't, his security guy won't let her, like, leave a party until it's confirmed that she's, like, leaving with friends that yes. he knows. So, yes. like, it's, yeah, you're you're so right that, I, I mean, that's why Mad Men is my favorite yes. uh, TV show. Best, is that it's the best about, comedy of all time. It's about the transition of, like, you know, we're, I, I would argue we're still, in a way, it, basically the the birth control pill <laughs> gave us the same world of sexuality we have now. We have not, and uh, we have not still like freaks men out. It freaks men out that you can, women that, out it freak, well, it freaks men out that women can do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, we we're still having problems with that. Not that's an incredible oversimplification of, uh, what feminism is anyway. Um, so that's the intro to Frank. Are you, are you moving out from that scene? Because I do want to, uh, shout out the interaction at the pool table. Oh, shout out the interaction at the pool table. The other funny thing here is that as part of him being morose, he's watching some of his boys play pool and he sees a uh, a proto hippie of sorts in the Not club. Not even a hippie, just like a smartly like a like a swing a new swinging guy. Yeah, he's wearing like corduroy pants and a and a long like maybe a, a like 
I'm imagining it like one of those like suede jackets yeah. with maybe like fur lining. Yeah. Maybe his hair is a little long and he's wearing these uh these boots. Yeah. Uh the these kind of uh, outdoorsy boots. <laughs> and there's this uh interaction where he's like, Hey man, what kind of boots are those? <laughs> and he's like and the guy's like, What are you talking about? And he's like, Your boots. What? Is it gonna be uh, are you planning for it to be raining later? And the guy's like, "Hey, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want any trouble." And he's like, "Why are you wearing these boots in here?" And he like basically gets his guys to kick this this young man out. Yeah. And the young man is Harlan Ellison, uh, a legend of genre writing in uh, American fiction. Probably at that time writing for Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, the man has written, I believe, according to his wiki page, over 1,800 short stories that appeared in like you know those classic uh, sci-fi like adventure magazine and yeah. weird Pulp. stories and stuff and, yeah. and like has had many things adapted like what like one of the absolute legends of 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 20th century american sci-fi who happens to be some punk kid that uh you know uh, sinatra gives a swift kick in the in the rear out of the club and then instructs the manager i don't want to see anybody in here who's not wearing a suit a jacket and tie jacket and tie yeah the the exchange Hey, those Italian boots? No, Ellison said. Spanish? No. Are they English boots? Look, I don't know, man. <laughs> Ellison shot back. The pool room was suddenly silent. Sinatra moved away from the stool and walked with the slow, arrogant swagger of his toward Ellison. The hard tap of Sinatra's shoes, the only sound in the room. Looking down at Ellison with a slightly raised eyebrow and a tricky little smile, Sinatra asked, You expecting a storm? <laughs> Harlan Ellison moved a step to the side. Look, is there any reason why you're talking to me? I don't like the way you're dressed, Sinatra said. Hate to sh- this is my fa- I really like this uh, response. Hate to shake you up, Ellison said, but I dress to suit myself. <laughs> they, get, they get into an exchange where he he lies and says he's a plumber and someone else is like, no, he isn't. He wrote he wrote the movie The Oscar. <laughs> and Frank Sinatra says, I, I, well, I've your seen movie it sucks. and it's a piece of crap. And, and he's <laughs> like, well, but, well, guess what? That movie hasn't come out yet. That's strange, Ellison said, because they haven't even released it. And Sinatra says, well, I've seen it and it's a piece of crap. <laughs> oh man listen i get it harlan ellison wrote psycho i get it oh he wrote psycho okay he wrote psycho i like i under i it's who who needs to empathize with fucking frank sinatra but like i'm trying to have a swinging party as a millennial who is now ceding cultural cachet to gen z it is hard to realize that the style of thing that you are wearing for a long time is now not only like not cool, but abjectly becoming unfashionable. I can imagine myself pushing 50, hopefully being continuing to be successful, being in a club, seeing a hip, a hip young man and getting in an altercation and then saying to the manager, I don't want to see anybody in here who doesn't have crotches on their pants. I don't want to see anyone here without high-waisted pants. It, uh, it comes for us all. It does. Yeah. It's... But not all of us are Frank Sinatra and can enforce our dress code on the, uh, on the club. Yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously the, this introduces him as a, a prickly figure um who you know he's the the other kind of thematic thing besides just like the emancipated male is that on one hand he's the entertainer on the other hand he's il padrone yes he's uh he's like uh the god he's a godfather he's like, the godfather he's the guy that 75 you, guys working for him 75 guys working for him can you like truly can you imagine having 75 people who you that you're you are responsible for their livelihood that's crazy that's wild and also in very car- compartmentalized ways like you're not you're not the boss of a company. Yeah. It's like all of these people are managing small portions of your life from your business, 
your you got your film business, you got your uh, record business, you got your television business, you got your publicist. Then you have the people who are running your personal house who probably don't really relate to your a, va- a valet in a the valet. Uh, in the uh, like a uh, Downton Abbey sense. He has yeah. one of those. It's a, he is he is a, a hub, a nexus. Yep. Um. So yeah, he's he's got that going on. Where on one hand, like he likes a swing and good time, but on the other hand, you know, people are clustering around him uh giving him favors and uh yes and, uh, and it talks kissing about kissing the ring it talks about the classic favor up and down is that like to to the people who who provide favors and services for him he has like endless generosity yeah. but then to the to anyone who fucks up in his presence it is like nothing but punishment yes and also yeah he's he's enough of a diva that like if someone brings if someone brings him a frankfurter with catsup on it not the frankfurter with not catsup. the frankfurter with catsup he will then throw the bottle of catsup at the man who dared and to remember the him. bottles of catsup at this time are glass yes oh god the heinz 57 no that's ketchup hunts Wait, has hunts? catsup is that really the difference uh, I, I thought catsup I, was just a generalized term for ketchup I believe I I believe Heinz does ketchup and Hunts does catsup. Please correct us in the comment comments if we're wrong. Catsup should be the um the uh <laughs> flip side of uh, up dog. Yes. Cat up dog. Cats up. Uh <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that scene is it, it's a toss off anecdote, but the idea A that he would that he would be eating a Frankfurter. Yes. B that somebody would be bringing a Frankfurter to him. Yes. C that's, that's a dream. That somebody would be like how is this being served is it in one of those little paper trays is it on a silver platter how is it being is is the person handing frank sinatra's uh frankfurter to him just holding a bun that he's passing to him yeah you know it's like all the little details about how this po- interaction could have possibly happened and even did he order it verbally did someone just know oh it's we'll 2 a.m it's, about that later. it's uh it's frankfurter time also it's funny that his name is frank yes you know like a furter um <laughs> It goes together like hot, like Frank Sinatra and Frankfurters. Well, there's a good part about this later, but but his his posse is assumed to have an, an intuitive understanding of his desires. Yes, which includes it's like, like like monitoring the weather, like so it being like um his his car needs repainting. Yeah, okay, so is if that you didn't have yeah. this in the notes, this yeah. is the thing that I want to bring up. There's yeah. a great anecdote in here where uh, Talisa is trying to describe this network of command around his life. Uh, in that it is relayed in the sense of uh, he has a house in Palm Springs, which swag. Mm. Um, and it's it, it's relayed in the sense of like at some point Sinatra is dry, has like a Jeep car that he drives in the desert out there and he mentions offhandedly that it's like, the hey, the Jeep could use a new, a new coat of paint. And it is passed like telephone down the chain of command increasing in urgency from hey the car could use a new p- coat of paint to frank needs the car painted to the car is in desperate need of paint to somebody being like you need you need to get this shit painted yesterday yesterday yes and then that guy goes out and like prices the painting and like figures out what he needs and then figures out that he needs to get a custom paint job from like somebody who has the jeep paint or something yeah which requires a purchase order that then gets traveled <laughs> back up the line of command to get frank's approval and then like the next day somebody comes to him and is, and is like i'm so sorry frank but here's the purchase order for that uh you know two hundred dollars of paint you need for your jeep we're gonna we're gonna get that done as soon as possible we just need you to sign yeah. off on it and it, he relays frank being like somewhat exasperately being like it's i what is this i don't <laughs> sure yeah. fine yeah. i don't care yeah <laughs> like 
you know, it, that everything gets amplified in necessity, which I think we've all have been in workflows where we've seen that happen. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's like bad, bad CEO disease where, you know, everything, everything is urgent. Everything needs to happen Yes. for, for the certain like VIPs. It's like yes. drop everything you're doing and do that. And then it's like, they don't even, they don't, they don't even, even notice. They, <laughs> they don't, don't even, even know care. that it happened. Oh God. Oh, triggered. You know, okay, then there's like this little scene where he's uh, shooting this NBC special where he has to sing a bunch of songs with an orchestra. Again, like this old school, I mean, I say old school, it's just the way that it was done then. Like that you, I mean, imagine the production. I mean, we were living at a time where I whine about this constantly that the state of music television is in America is just abysmal. Abysmal. And there used and to be a time when you could hire an entire orchestra to play live with Frank Sinatra. And there's, it's, there's so much content in music and they never put it on TV. I was saying that, uh, you know, Molly was texting me. We, we spent Christmas apart, not for like relationship reasons, just because we were, <laughs> we just cause we were tending to our separate families. Yeah, of course. But we were, Molly was texting me being like, they're need, being like, I cannot watch another minute of football on Christmas. And I, we were saying that there should be a Christmas counter programming, like a big a big concert. concert. What like, the fuck? Like the weekend does a selection of his hit songs and Christmas classics. Yes. On TV, national TV. <laughs> it's such a huge resource. There's so many musicians of so many different types. It's so easy to put them on TV. We, there's, it's never be, the barrier to entry of like becoming a musician. It, uh, finances aside has never been easier the the tools you can record yourself you can play all your own instruments you can fake instruments you can sample you can do whatever like you can come up with a song in your own fucking bedroom we all know that and yet it has never been harder to create music content on a national scale yes american bandstand or yeah, fucking american TRL bandstand. or any of that shit it makes it makes me mad honestly when i think about it where i'm like music is the most important thing in my life yeah. and i don't there's nowhere to like get it and i'm sorry but the mass singer is just not gonna cut it no anyway just, uh, obviously at the, you know 1966 it's like frank sinatra was maybe like one of the only people who could green light like a special of this nature yes but it it i'm just jealous of like the effort the production effort put into something like this and of course frank sinatra you know is the captain of his own ship or whatever so he's like he's mad that the his stage isn't as close to the orchestra stage as it should be even though i'm sure there's probably an, an amazing uh production reason for that to happen having seen uh elvis this year was actually great yeah. context for yes. this because the way they filmed them filming the tv special obviously it's fucking baz Luhrmann, so it's way elevated yeah uh but you know just thinking about how they would put together like a 60s musician tv special uh, was great context for the scene. And I also really like the way Talise portrayed the very cool, even headed, like cool headed director of this, yeah. where like Frank would just be like yelling up to the booth, being like, uh, Hey, am I interrupting you up there? These stages are close together. And just be pause, pause, pause. Okay, let's move to the next position, Frank. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, uh, every, everyone who works with him in that capacity, I imagine, yeah. has to be that way, or and else they're going to like go insane. A TV director who's probably called in as a hired gun and is mostly concerned with getting these fucking cameras to work right. Yeah, nineteen sixty six, like t live to tape broadcast. Yeah, that's. I mean, the the idea of having any like willfulness in uh, TV or movie production at this time, when I'm like, do you know how how difficult, difficult it is to is, like yes. film things yes now you can do it a million times and then sinatra calls the recording he sings two songs and he says no my my voice is shot i can't sing these songs you know what that sounds like a man with a cold yeah which hey all all he is is at the end of the day his call his calling card is his voice yeah, so all he, he can't read he good. can't read music yeah 
He's, I mean, he helps arrange. He's very on top of doing it, like putting together the Frank Sinatra sound. But yeah. he cannot read music. Yeah. He cannot play an instrument. Uh, all he can do is sing. sing. So it better be fucking good. Yeah. Uh, we zoom back a little bit. Uh, so yeah, they they table the NBC special. They go back and refilm it. Everything is fine. Yeah. Uh, great success. Zoom back a little bit just to his parentage and his uh, his childhood in Hoboken, New Jersey. His father is a boxer. His uh, who goes under the name Marty, Marty O'Brien. Irish Italian. What's the what's the difference? By the 1910s, the Irish were a little more white than the Italians were, <laughs> True. and certainly by the 1940s, yeah. the Italians had achieved a yeah. modicum of whiteness. Yeah. Which uh, then passed on to, uh, I, I don't know, probably yeah. like Hispanics. Actually, in the 1950s, my Italian great-grandparents used French surnames to uh, get a mortgage for a house in the suburbs. No in kidding. Cincinnati in 1954. A heavily Italian and German city. That's why I did not know that. It's proof that anytime you need paperwork or officiation, lie. Just lie. Yes. If you can lie, do it. Yes. I've, I've gotten a raise uh, from someone faking a job offer for me. <laughs> and I'm, wi- I'm willing to, to say that on tape. Just lie. If, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, how can I get ahead in life? I would recommend you lie. Not George Sanders toast lie uh as we know is that what his name is yes uh well you know who what who else gave if that if that's his name you know who else gave this advice very recently yes felix biederman on chapper trap house did he where he said the exact same thing just lie on your job application and anything you need to do to get on your resume on your job application on your application for an apartment look these are all power flows so if you're lying to somebody more powerful than you Mm -hmm. legit yeah you're lying somebody to less powerful than you or yeah if you're if you're you're lying for you know selfish reasons that are going to like fuck someone else over whatever i don't know i just don't clearly the most successful people in this country have no scruples about it so like why should we be mendacious within reason anyway marty (laughs) o'brien his mom was named dolly dolly snatra she is a like dem democratic like political like, fixer, fixer of hoboken basically like the quote was that she can like uh guarantee 600 italian votes from her neighborhood yes for whom whomever She's and an in exchange old school machine ward healer yeah she's going around telling everybody can i count on your vote on saturday promise probably promising them the little favors yeah probably getting kickbacks well one of them, when she told uh, one of the politicians that she wanted her husband to be appointed to the Hoboken Fire Department and was told, but Dolly, we don't have an opening. She snapped, make an opening. Yes. And that's how his dad went that's from boxer. That's how America was made. Yes, exactly. Sorry to, sorry to say. Remember when politicians could do something for you? <laughs> Remember when politicians could do something for you personally? Seriously. That's why I, we talked about this in Hell of Presence, but you know, a huge battle in the the latter half of the 19th century was against quote unquote corruption. And that was in the forms of like Tammany Hall, stuff yeah. like that. But I do think that there is, and I invent this a little bit in, in Hell of Presidents, is like that there is a kind of positive corruption that is just like, you know, it, it's kind of like the pre, a pre-welfare system. And in lieu of our broken ass welfare system, I'm inclined to say it works better that you just form a p- personal relationship with your local boss and you're like, Hey, I can get these twenty people to vote if you can make sure that they all have like chickens at Christmas. Yeah, and if you don't, I'll vote for the other guy. Yeah, 
it's just getting people jobs, getting people like like little uh, uh, treats and guarantees from their government. Yeah, just another you know vision of Ameri- America gone by. That his mom was a chocolate dipper. <laughs> <laughs> she had the Lucy job, which I I I looked it up. I was like, is that a euphemism? <laughs> For something. Yeah, she the, no, she works at like a like a candy factory. Yeah, she had the Lucy she chocolate shoving, job. Yeah, she the Lucy chocolate job. She was shoving them and down she her was, bras and stuff. She was so good at. He, the, see, it's funny how uh, easily this transitions into like what you imagine conversations be like. They said I was so good at my job that they sent me to France. So <laughs> yes, they sent me to France, and then so I could teach other people how to do it the French way. Yes, I don't, is that how Dolly Sinatra would talk? They sent me to France, so I, could do it, to France. so I could do it the French way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the you know obviously humble beginnings, especially I think he made made much of the idea that Hoboken was kind of like a rough yeah area to grow up in for a little boy uh, born in 1915. Uh, he you know basically from the time he was an adolescent, he was like, I am a singer and I'm going to be a star. Which talk about the environment that we've just seen kind of sketched out thus far is like he Frank Sinatra was one of those people who had to invent being famous. Yes. Yes. Invent what, what was, what were the parameters and the boundaries of like being famous and lucky for him, he wanted it. Yes. Like I'm sure that there were plenty of times when he was like, Oh, they're, they're prying into my private life. I can't believe it. But he seems to genuinely want to be a star. He grew up on, um, Ah shit! Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Yes. Like big, he grew up on big band stuff, and I think. He but was then, like, like, got to the point where he was a direct competitor with him pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, there was like a blueprint, and then he saw that and was like, "I can do." He's genuinely better than I can a do. New type my of thing. guy. A new guy type of guy who could not exist without a form of mass media that was coming around together without or around him. I was just reading about like the cultural history of the early Frank Sinatra fans who are of among the first subset of recognizable teen female fandoms stands the yeah. body soxers yes uh who were one of the first recognizable marketable groups of teenagers you know uh, kind of uh, uh even predecessing the the um you know your your malt shop teens of the 50s these was like yeah. this was like 40s early 40s like mm-hmm. world war ii era teenage kids forming fan clubs of stuff they heard on the radio and and advertisers were responding to this type of stuff and, and forging these new genres and demographics of advertisable, marketable groups, and in return, creating the identity of teenager around them. Like this is all he he is at the 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 front of the the spear, the tip of the spear about yes. you know creating the identity of teenager the dumb in the in the in the forties. Yes. Yeah. yeah. New type of guy. New type of guy. And you know he he crawled up from nothing yes. of just basically being you know of again, listening to the radio and being like I think I can do that I think I can be that guy and in fact be better than that guy and he's a, a talented dude who like starts from like he sings at like a roadhouse basically in New Jersey called the Rustic Cabin honestly weirdly Sinatra's career reminds me more of like modern rap guys that's what career. that's exactly what I was thinking like, I can listen to this stuff online and I, I think I can do this I think I can do this and then all I need is like some kind of venue in order yeah. to like showcase it and then you get a cosign in his case and the, the, the band leader guys are like people who send you beats or djs or whatever you know yeah. it's like you get people who know the production side like tommy dorsey who starts singing with pretty early yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird how many and then they become not just like if you're really good at it you, you it's not really just the music it's a, a full-on industry of personal celebrity yes you know yeah that it, it, it is interesting how much uh sinatra 
as one of the earliest popular musician that has a mold that is is still one of the most recognizable in the forms of the most current popular musicians right you have you basically have raw talent you find a conduit for it you link up with people who are more powerful than you and if you are and have lucky, the complementary talent sectors it, yes and then as long as they don't like shut the door in your face or try mm-hmm. to fuck you over you can then leapfrog over them yes yeah it too just reminds me of like lady gaga just like so, like someone who like sees the actually can see the landscape and yeah. like knows how to play it to your best advantage yeah. there are people like that in every generation where you you see what the zeitgeist is and and what the status quo is and then you use yeah. your special talents to create a new paradigm i don't yes know. i mean that is the thing uh, i've been thinking about this a lot with the hell on earth podcast you know, i keep mm. refer- referencing my history pods but it is like the people who can really make it in a moment are the ones who not who do not act against the tide of history yeah. or do not act per- uh, perpendicular to the tide of history but whether they know it or not are moving with yes. the tide of history yes. and uh and complementary to yeah you know yeah and it is usually a, a combination of uh, luck, skill, uh, and just having the right personality to ride a moment. Yeah. Yep. Frank Sinatra probably had just think of again this thing of like a man out of time. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra probably had a personal memory of his family getting their first radio. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like right. He, like just like I have a memory of the we us getting the internet. Mm-hmm. He. You know, was born into a time where the, he probably had a, a live memory of that. And then at, when he's 50, he's shooting a movie, recording a TV special, yes. laying down an album, yeah. listening to the radio. Flying in a plane. Flying in a private <laughs> he's plane. A, a private plane that his own um, like press guy or uh, his own like manager or something is worried about because they're like, that was... that he. <laughs> that same model got, plane had at Learjet had a crash other, in another part of California. Yeah, yeah, like he got the news. It's like uh, Frank will be flying to Palm Springs for the weekend, and he's like, ah, shit. That same His plane, plane just, just crashed. crashed. <laughs> oh god. And uh, oh, if if he if he crashes, well, I'm out of yeah. the job. I mean, he was he was born in. A, I mean, t- talk about American history. Like born in a tenement building in yes. New Jersey. Like hello. In 1909, the Wright brothers did a demonstration where they flew one of their planes in circles around the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. which Frank Sinatra's parents may have very well witnessed from the shores <laughs> of Hoboken. Yeah. And in 1969, we landed a man on the moon. Yeah. Like. We talk about the the rapid technological jumps that we've experienced in our lives, but that little chunk of American history or of world history from, you know, basically, you know, the dawn of the 19th, the 20th century yeah. to, you know, the dawn of the computer age yes. is just as a bizarre, like, acceleration of everything as yeah. the dawn of the computer age is to now. Yeah. Hey, we're putting a man back on the moon. We're, we're getting back to the basics. Go. We need to go back to our roots on the moon yes yeah this is a this is a real retu- return to my roots Retu- album return <laughs> to moon mvvn <laughs> uh yeah 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 also important to note uh that is noted in this piece is that frank sinatra had a flop era yes uh probably one of, again one of the first maybe mm-hmm. um that from the late 40s to the early 50s he was uh, trying to make it in movies, uh, recorded some terrible songs, uh, quoted in the piece. Uh, he was selling only about 30,000 records a year. He was dreadfully miscast as a funny man on his television show. And when he recorded such disasters as Mama Will Bark, 
Uh, quote, I growled and barked on the record, Sinatra said, still horrified by the thought. Quote, the only good it did me was with the dogs. <laughs> That's so a good like, line. Th- I mean, that is, again, just a, a point of being famous is that you have to go away to come back. Mama will bark. You look so lovely in the moonlight. Yes, but Papa will bark. Your eyes are shining like the starlight. Yes, but Mama will bark. Your lips are so inviting, darling. Give me one more kiss. <laughs> But also setting the mold. How does he pull out of his flop era? Winning a fucking Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor from yeah. Here to Eternity in 1953. Yeah. There's no... There's, Frank's back, baby. Academy Award winner, Frank Sinatra. There's no... I'm just thinking of celebrities who have flop eras right now. It's like, there's no... It's not a death sentence. You just have to figure out... There's a reason you got famous in the first place. Mm-hmm. So just figure out a different way to stay famous. Yes. You know? Like if you're George Foreman and you're famous for like punching people really hard and then it's like, well, what's my next act? Well, it's like, well, what about a personal grilling device for your home <laughs> that you can make a burger or a panini in? You know, just yes. th- these are all lessons we can learn from. Uh, let's go to Vegas, shall yes. we? Chris, how do you feel about Las Vegas? I like it. Sin City, baby. Ring-a-ding-ding. Uh, ring-a-ding-ding. <laughs> said- That's the sound of the slot machines. <laughs> Pouring out gold coins for me. <laughs> Luck be a lady tonight. Let me blow on those lady. dice, baby, because I'm feeling lucky. Luck be a lady tonight. Meet me at the sands. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I after reading this piece, boy, oh boy, when I I love to go to the sands with the Rat Pack. Oh, yeah? The Rat Pack, what is it? It's fantasy of what if a man had friends. <laughs> truly it might at this time like maybe a fantasy for most men of having of having cool of cool, being cool and hip and having cool hip buddies friends that you could can, like that you can just like fuck off work and like there's go no, places there's no door you that uh won't won't, won't open, open for you there's and no your what, there's no legs that won't open for you probably the a lot of the fantasy of like the social clubs and lodges of this time is like we uh, we have a small place where we can be a rat pack of our own i understand why they had the brat pack in the 80s is because all, all we want and the the pussy posse in the 90s when's the last time that we had a group now unfortunately due to capitalism all we have are hype houses <laughs> <laughs> so we're in vegas Fra- frank's going to vegas they're going to the stands. They're going to have fun. You know, what are you going to do? You get, you gamble, you drink, you hang out with your buddies. Uh, you go to see Don Rickles do a comedy set. Yes. Uh, Don Rickles and Sinatra are seemingly friends. I, I've read that, the, that, yeah. that Sinatra was an early supporter of Rickles' career. Uh, Gay Talies describes Don R- Rickles' uh, comedy as like so offensive that it's not offensive. Yes. It, which like, is also kind of prescient for yes. like humor what the the path of humor yeah. right is that yeah it if goes, you're so offensive then you can't be offensive but now the only conversation in comedy is how offensive are yes. you and whom yes it goes it goes through the stargate and i, I was watching some don rickles <laughs> uh material and, and the thing is is that i think the way that he gets away with it in the 60s is that he's so pan offensive to yeah. everyone that it, it makes it non non-specific like it's not like he just does He's Jew punch- jokes or Italian jokes or yeah. black guy jokes or old people jokes or girl or women jokes or men jokes. It's just like it is under like the concept of his bit 
is that he's going to hit everyone for everything, and yeah. so no one thing is like taken too sorely. He's pu- he's punching in every direction and becoming sort of like an anime, like human punching, yeah. like uh, orb. Yes, where and no no one is safe. Doesn't Dean Martin scream out for like you know do like do me like be, like he? It sounds like he does the kind of comedy where like you feel left out if he doesn't yeah. hit your identity, which is kind of a neat little yeah. trick. Uh, the bit that I was watching him do after I listened to this, he, he, the thing that I liked the most is he was talking about Pat Boone's TV show, and he was like, oh. he was like, Pat Boone's got a TV show. What uh, is that? Like basically doing like, is that past your bedtime? Got a cold glass of milk there? <laughs> You're going wild tonight. It's almost 9 p.m. <laughs> Pat Boone. <laughs> Pat Boone. Uh, here's a description of uh, Frank Sinatra in Vegas. Uh, but by the way, also should say that. Um, Frank Sinatra is out until eight in the morning as a as a fifty year old man. Yes, which listen, he's not like parenting babies, and he yeah. has no wife. I mean, that's a, he's a portrait of a bachelor at this point yes. in a way. He's got no one to tend to at home. Uh, but uh, if I stay out until four a.m., uh, I pay for it the entire next day. Yes, and I'm thirty three, so being 50 and being out until eight in the morning i mean i guess you just you just go vampire it says it specifically style. that he sleeps in the entirety of the next day and then takes a jet home to uh la I yeah believe. Uh, what a life uh but here's frank in vegas frank sinatra holding a glass a shot glass of bourbon in his left hand walked through the crowd he unlike some of his friends was perfectly pressed his tuxedo tie precisely pointed his shoes unsmudged he never seems to lose his dignity never lets his guard completely down no matter how much he has drunk nor how long he has been up he never sways when he walks like dean martin nor does he ever dance in the aisles or jump up on tables like sammy davis (laughs) It's, uh, I mean, he is supernaturally put together. Uh, there's another part where uh, Talese uh, describes that Sinatra has perfected a method of laying down in a way where he uh, folds his tail, the, the tails yes. of his coat his under his pants and, and like makes his pant legs just so so he can lay down for a bit and stand back up and his suit is still perfectly pressed. I have it because th- this ties into his family life. Uh, it's from a bit earlier in the piece. Frank Sinatra can fall asleep anywhere, something he learned when he used to ride bumpy roads with banned buses. He also learned at that time when sitting in a tuxedo how to pinch the trouser creases in the back and tuck the jacket under and out and fall asleep perfectly pressed. Uh, but he does not ride buses anymore. And his daughter, Nancy, who in her younger days felt rejected when he slept on the sofa instead of giving attention to her, later realized that the sofa was one of the few places left in the world where Frank Sinatra could get any privacy, where his famous face would be neither stared at nor cause an abnormal reaction in others. I thought that part was very pointy, too. And I was going to That's all it, one sentence? God, no, two, two sentences. The sleeping on the sofa thing, I thought, was very poignant of being, again, a man... In, a, in an in-between space of being like not not in a bed not standing up not out not in but uh, the sofa of his daughter's house mm-hmm. is perhaps the most restful place that he could actually just disconnect yeah. from things for a minute but young daughter and that's where you you know think about what a parent is and mm-hmm. how you know if you're famous you're obviously not able to give a, a, enough time it was a different time of parenting of yeah. course but enough time to your kid uh, and what that what it all means that's where the you know 
uh, we're recording this uh, in the waning hours of 2022 where the Nepo baby has oh, been God, yes. quite big this year. And just like, obviously, listen, I'm not going to defend a Nepo baby. I don't give a shit. Uh, but uh, you, I can understand why you want to stay in an entertainment industry when your parents are in the entertainment industry because you you have not been subjected to a normal childhood yes. where both parents... Again, I feel like I'm saying normal as if it, anyone has a normal childhood, but a, a childhood where two parents can pay the same amount of attention, a, a, of attention to you and will pay attention to you. Why, why wouldn't you then go into the same industry that has uh, rewarded your parents so yeah. much? Uh, my only... Re- requirement is that you be good at it whatever you do and i would say nancy sinatra is pretty good at it hey boots are made for walking those boots who's who's done anything as good as that uh that i this is such an aside and i i don't want to get into it but i felt we can always i felt like that nepo baby whole package was so weirdly misguided in like a weird again i'm not defending the 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 people that well here's the thing Saying that I'm not defending is like the uh, the whole framing of this thing is wrong. It is a phenomenon that is no one's fault. fault. It is just like a way that that these things move, and, yeah. I, and it felt like the way that they packaged that whole thing was very accusatory in a way that I don't think is the right way to approach that phenomenon. The right way to approach it is we need a pathway for working class people to become entertainers. Yes, there there should be a there should be a another way to do it because obviously if you are the child of a famous person and those sluices are open for you to just fall into why would you not do that if you grow up on sets if you grow up knowing what uh, directors are and what they do if you grow up with your parents teaching you this stuff yes why wouldn't you be good at it my favorite example of this currently who i believe was singled out on the cover as a nepo baby was uma thurman and ethan hawk's kid maya hawk mm-hmm. she was in a netflix movie that i watched do revenge she was incredible she has the thing she has it and she fucking better because she's uma thurman and i ethan regret hawk's to inform you that having family businesses makes sense even in pre-capitalist models why do you think so many people's names are miller and brewer <laughs> and carpenter yeah. and stuff like that we just you know? need we need a way for people to train as entertainers and be successful as entertainers when when they are, do not have yes the automatic access which is i think a different way to frame it than just making like quirky little graphs showing yeah. who everybody's a mom and dad are anyway that's a big divulgence and the thing is is we love nancy sinatra and I love the idea of Frank Sinatra melancholy sleeping on her couch. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So to bring it back to Frank Sinatra stuff is that, you know, when we're asking what we want of entertainers, what do we want of entertainers? We want all of them. We yes. want them. We want commitment and devotion. We want them to devote their entire lives to entertaining us. I just want, Who, quali- I just want quality work. Well, sure. But I'm just <laughs> saying as a more general, <laughs> to we but then who suffers their families their friends yeah. like they're you know what i mean like that that is this particular portrait of frank sinatra is a man who is 50 years old has been married three times uh, yes and is single he's had kids his no he's been married twice here tw- twice he will be married a third time and eventually to marry a pharaoh who's dating at the beginning of this and yep. eventually a fourth time he has two i think two children at this three children at this point uh all three kids uh, or the two kids who have any kind of voice in the piece express some level of like alienation. His son, who's trying currently trying to make it on his own as his own singer, definitely feels a more resentful to yes. to him. Uh, he says he's is, been, he's removed from the inner circle of his family, yeah. which I don't know. I guess we're talking about nepo babies. It's like 
the part of a parent that you sacrifice when your parent entertains the country and the world, then do you maybe like, is that so, is that, do do you deserve then your own access to the piece of the entertainment pie? Because you have not gotten a real a pe- parent. A piece of your parent pie. Your parent pie. <laughs> I don't know. This is all. Um, yeah. This is also. I mean, it's all. It's all fucked up and weird. And it's also like again, Sinatra is inventing this mode as he goes. As he goes, and it's all new. Yeah, and he is an industry as as uh, Tilly said in the first page. He's yeah. an industry onto himself. Yeah. And so, despite the vast rewards of seemingly endless irresponsibility that he can take, he is still also endlessly responsible for a huge little chunk of the entertainment industry yeah it's you know i i think about that with you know child stars i think about that with like britney spears and people who have been like abused Mm -hmm. by it it's like Mm -hmm. what do you if if we are extracting your value then what are you owed you know yeah i don't know just let me think about the other uh to close out the vegas bit i just really like this part uh a part of sinatra no matter where he is is never there there is always a part of him though sometimes a small part that remains il padrone even now resting his shot glass on the blackjack table facing the dealer sinatra stood a bit back from the table not leaning against it he reached under his tuxedo jacket into his trouser pocket and came up with a thick but clean wad of bills <laughs> gently he peeled off a 100 hundred dollar bill and placed it on the green felt table the dealer dealt him two cards sinatra called for a third card overbid lost the hundred without a change of expression sinatra put down a second hundred dollar bill he lost that then he put down a third and lost that then he placed two $100 bills on the table and lost those. Finally, putting his $600 bill on the table and losing it, Sinatra moved away from the table, nodding to the man and announcing, good dealer. Incredible. I mean, an absolute masterclass. <laughs> to be Frank Sinatra and make l- losing $600 straight, no $619.66. contest. $619.66. Uh, on, on a blackjack table, look cool? Because at the end of the day he can he can handle it and he's not really there he's not he's not really there and he's not betting anything that he can't afford to lose yeah. he is the ultimate cool guy he is he's the cool even at 50 he's the coolest guy in america yes. uh what is the rest of this uh piece it shows him um you know going uh back to los angeles he's shooting this movie called assault on a queen with an actress verna lisi uh he's like he, very italian or something she's incredibly like italian. she cannot speak english yeah uh you know just scenes it's of a him. heist movie on like a riverboat or something yeah or no a cruise ship it's him and a, a bunch of guys are going to do a heist on the queen mary which sounds it doesn't sound good but i'm like i'd watch that sure yeah uh, Frank Sinatra seems uh, basically uh, undirectable yes. in some ways that like at this point in his career yeah he you know he he shoots these scenes and basically talks the director into being like uh, I don't want to shoot this again uh, I can record this uh, yeah we can do this line later we can do this ADR if you cut to the other angle and uh, she comes in this way this time ridiculous uh, uh, but she, she has to throw a, a shoe near his crotch and he keeps being like whoa <laughs> hey oh yeah that's the, the other uh sinatra idiosyncrasy is that he he just uses the word bird for like yeah like a substitute for a noun yeah Yeah. like he she's throws a shoe in the take and he's like you don't don't hit if you hit my bird i'm going home yeah uh but he'll but it'll also be like you know leaving leaving the uh restaurant we'll have the we'll have the valet pull the bird around you know stuff like that he uses it like philly people use the word john yeah uh which i love 
Um, but yeah, so like, you know, he recovers he, in this, the, the, I guess the arc, the narrative of this piece is that he recovers from his cold. Yes. That by the end he, he records the special, no problem. He gets He's along, in the movie, he, no problem. He gets along with the director in the second time recording. They have a great time. There's another great little anecdote in there where it makes it clear that despite his heightened status, like this is so, so perfect thing, despite his heightened status, he knows everybody around him's name, knows yes. d- details about their personal life. As they're wrapping the recording of the television special, he... Like the French hornist is leaving and he's like, hey, Mickey, good playing tonight. How's your daughter? Oh, Frank, uh, you know, she just uh, went off. She wants to be yeah. a musician, but she just went off to college. Well, that's good that she's getting her her education. He's like, well, you know, maybe he would, she would like to play one time with the band. Well, she get her education, get her education and, maybe, and maybe we'll talk about it. You yeah. know, it's like he knows everybody around him. Yes. First name, stuff about their life. You know, very politician-y, you know? Yeah, right. Which I get, he got it from his mama, I would yeah. assume. Um, yeah, yeah. but they wrapped the special. It goes great. He's pleased with it. The special that he was worried about, the CBS special with Cronkite that yep. he thought was going to go a little too deep in his thing. His thing. Uh, I like the detail that it premieres. He goes over to his ex-wife's house and has dinner and then they all watch it and it's radio silence for an hour while everybody in his orbit watches it <laughs> and then as soon as it ends he starts the calls coming in and they start being like i thought that made you look pretty good it was yeah. great man and it's like they don't go into any of the stuff that he was worried about yeah although he's still apparently he just talked about that again like the kind of bad ceo uh syndrome where uh <laughs> He, he's still like upset at this still very flattering and not hardcore CBS doc where I think his like press guy says like, you know what you want me to like uh, say anything to, to the producer and he says, can you send a fist through the mail? <laughs> Great line. And it's like, bro, he was fine. Uh, um, and then, you know, oh, yeah, he said it's called a, a Sinatra, a man and his music and his complaint afterwards is that they wish they'd focus more on the man and less, less on, the, on music. the music. And, and he's even like, though you, going in, yeah, they were, he was like, they better not talk about my personal life. Yeah. Or I'll suck him in the jaw. Again, it, it g- gives me like flashbacks of like turning, uh, you know, turning in an assignment and being like, uh, you really should have done a little bit more of this. And then I do a little bit more of this. And it's like, well, why don't you do a little bit more of that? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> bro. Uh, but let's, let's wrap up the piece. Uh, this ending is fantastic. Uh, he's driving in LA. Frank Sinatra stopped his car. The light was red. Pedestrians passed quickly across his windshield, but as usual, one did not. It was a girl in her 20s. She remained at the curb, staring at him. Through the corner of his left eye, he could see her, and he knew, because it happens almost every day, that she was thinking, it looks like him, but is it? Just before the light turned green, Sinatra turned toward her, looked directly into her eyes, waiting for the reaction he knew would come. It came, and he smiled. She smiled, and he was gone. My question is, how did Gay? Where was Gay Talese for this moment? <laughs> he was on the roof with a <laughs> binoculars. <laughs> binoculars, being like, "Oh, I've got." That's it. what the five thousand dollar. That's what the the five thousand dollar expense account covered. He's a, he's three cars back and two cars over with a telescope. Yeah, in <laughs> a notepad. Yeah. Or do you think like he talked to someone who was like, "This is what Frank told me the, the other day." He's like, maybe, "I saw a great, maybe. I saw a bird, a, a bird in her twenties." Fact 20s. check that if you're an Esquire. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Regardless, it's a great ending. And again, it is him reaching out across time, mm-hmm. maintaining relevance, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, I think this is a wonderful piece. Uh, I regret to inform all of our listeners, Frank Sinatra is cool as hell. He's a cool dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah and i like him a lot and 
Gay Talese, of course, was canceled uh, literarily <laughs> when he was on like a panel discussion at, I think, Boston University. And someone asked him, uh, like, what j- typical, uh, <laughs> typical talk gotcha that someone was like, what, what women writers have inspired you? And it was basically like, for a dollar, name a woman. And he was like, like, I don't think any woman writer has inspired me. And everyone was like, oh. Man, I don't know. Here's my biggest takeaway from this piece. Yes. I think this could ring make... Ring-a-ding, ring-a-ding, ding. Ring-a-ding, ding, ring-a-ding, ding. Ring-a-ding, ding, ring-a-ding, ding, ring-a-ding, ding. B, I think this could make a tremendous uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Why haven't they done this? Well, again, it's just vibes. There's not a lot of plot, but there are a lot of little scenes... Yeah. There are a lot of little moments. Well, it reminds me of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah, just basically. driving around Los Angeles in a cool car listening to the radio. Being sick, getting better... <laughs> lying on Nancy Sinatra's couch, watching the special, making the special. Uh, it, I think, but it has to be mood. It's just mood and great man, talented man, mm-hmm. sad man, yeah, angry man. It's just like yeah, all these little moods. Who the fuck do you get is, to play Frank Sinatra? Who's he, who's an actor who's like 50 or thereabouts who could even play Frank Sinatra? We're running out of credible 50 year olds. He is so like one of one yeah. that it's hard it's hard to imagine in a way. Yeah. It has to be somebody super char- not just a character actor but super yeah. I mean oh, but he's so short. I mean honestly like <laughs> even Tom Cruise maybe in a different world could have like he's done too a version so, he's of it. Too, um, he's too Tom Cruise. Y- but you, you could, know like something like that where you yeah. have that like magnetic smile and kind of vacantness. Man. And would he have to be Italian? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. If you have casting but you, ideas, but, but email us. I'm saying Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, Frank Sinatra has a cold. 60s LA. You can see, kind of see that in your head. Or right? maybe you cast for vibe rather than look like, which yeah. is a perfectly reasonable way of doing any kind of like biopic type movie. Uh, but anyway, Ryan got Ryan Gosling in 10 years. Yes, that would be great. All right. Let's let's start greasing some wheels. All right. That's let's my start pitch. making. I've some got calls. I'm going to make a pitch deck. Uh, I'm going to start putting this together. All right. I'm going to write a treatment. Frank Sinatra is a cold folks. Uh, great read. Quick read. Highly recommend it. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. I, I am excited to inform you that it's been a kind of fallow year for and introducing. But right off the bat, 2023, we have two more episodes scheduled yes uh so you're going to get some some good content uh up here yeah at the top of the year and we'll we'll try to keep it rolling a little more thoroughly than we did last year um yes with this what's uh, the um um the wire meme where it's like i want i want you to know that we, i want everyone tell everyone we're back up we tell everyone we're, we're back up yeah i want you to put the word out there we back up that's how I that's feel, how i feel about the despite show despite the fact that i have never seen the wire we'll watch the wire maybe we'll watch it this year you gotta see the wire um this will be coming out soon oh soon. we have actually have and introducing specific plugs wait, wait what we're hosting a party oh shit yes we're hosting a fucking party in new york city in new york city a party january at a club. 
18. 18. My fucking birthday. Chris's birthday, though it's not a birthday party, but it is a birthday party. I will be having a party on my birthday, though it is not a birthday party. Uh, at Elsewhere, The Loft, uh, it is free 99. Uh, all you have to do is RSVP. We'll put the link to the RSVP. You're going to be, I'm, I, I have dubbed this party a 21st century dance party. Yeah. Uh, in indie that dance party. Indie dance. A 21st century indie dance party. That it is not specifically indie sleaze, but we are going to be pulling from a bunch of indie dance hits from any time after the, the year 2000. Yeah. The 2000s to today. It's, uh, we're going to rage. Uh, we're Matthew DJing. Perpetua from Flexblog is going to play a set. Friend uh, of the pod. Ryan from the Anti-Art Instagram account uh, who Friend we've of the had pod. On, on here is going to play. Uh, it's going to be a really fun time. We have uh, in- incredible photographs taken by Laura June Kirsch, who uh, is a fantastic photographer. She was a, uh, on staff at uh, Vans, uh, House, of, House of Vans and the Village Voice. She took all the photos of Chapel on Broadway in the New York show. She's a badass. Neoliberal Hell is hosting as well. Yeah, she will be there. Uh, we will be actually DJing. We will be DJing. I learned to, I learned to, mi- Chris taught me how to mix, which is shocking. This is the first official, unofficial <laughs> This is the first official and introducing event. event. So if you're in New York, if you like the show, you are obligated to come. You're not obligated, you but obligated it would be nice come. for you to come. If you don't come, you're not allowed to listen to the show anymore. <gasps> That's horrible. Unless no, you you're... have a work excuse or a doctor's note. It's a Wednesday. Wednesday, January 18th, elsewhere, and introducing Flexbog. We don't care if you have school the next day. We're going on first, 8 to 9.30. Yes. So get, yeah, get there early. That's the real That's the real tea. That's yeah. the real broth. The real brine. I don't even want to do the other things that we usually do at the end of the show. You know where to find you us. You know where to find us. Come to the show. Come, come to, to the show. Come to the live show. Yeah. Also, so- side plug. We, can we do side plugs? Oh, yeah. I will also be um, participating in a comedy show that same week, January 16th, at Baby's All Right. It is hosted by the editors and co-creators of the blog, Grandma Sophia's Cookies, which is a sick blog. You should also read that for sure. Uh, I will be on there uh, sort of as like a therapist guest, like or a, a guest who needs therapy. Uh, it's a it's like a mental health themed comedy show night. I will be there talking about a problem that I have. Um, so if you live in New York City, come to Baby's All Right. I guess it's their biggest show ever. I fucking love babies. Um, you should come. I'll link that in there as well. Um, but that should be sick. And you know me. I love a stage. I don't know if you know me, but I do love a stage. And Friday, January 20th, I will be performing at uh, Littlefield doing a launch party for Matt and I's new history podcast, Hell on Earth, The 30 Years War and the Violent Birth of Capitalism. Uh, that's at Littlefield. I'll put links there. Baby's all right. Elsewhere, Littlefield. We are all the fuck over We the are city. all over Brooklyn. We're going citywide. Going crazy. Going ham. Hard in the paint. We're going oat mode. Just feeling our oats. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't play any Sinatra songs in this one. Oh God, I'll plug I'll plug some in when I edit it.